Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast, the show designed to give you science-based solutions to improve your health and life. I'm Dr. David Jockers, doctor of natural medicine and creator of drjockers.com, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm here to tell you that your body was created to heal itself, and on this show, we focus on strategies you can apply today to heal and function at your best. Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. If you're struggling with stiff or aching joints, and you're tired of letting this discomfort steal the joy and freedom from your life, then I have a natural solution you're going to love. It's called Joint Support by Pure Health Research, and this stuff is amazing. It contains seven of Mother Nature's best superfoods for supporting comfortable, healthy, and flexible joints. It even promotes healthy cartilage growth too. All it takes is one small capsule of joint support every day to start feeling the positive effects on your health. And as a listener of our show, you can try joint support risk-free today and get a free 30-day supply of omega-3 when you take advantage of this special offer. It can promote healthy joint lubrication, making it easier to move in comfort. You're also getting two free ebooks so you can learn more about joint health. Just head over to getjointhelp.com forward slash jockers. That's G E T J O I N T H E L P.com forward slash J O C K E R S. Getjointhelp.com forward slash jockers to order joint support and claim your free bottle of omega-3 while supplies last. Again, that's getjointhelp.com forward slash jockers. On this podcast, I'm being interviewed by Dr. Sharon Stills, and we talk all about the top foods, herbs, and healing strategies to improve your liver and gallbladder health. I also go through a lot of lab biomarkers, like different liver enzymes and liver enzyme ratios. We talk about AST, ALT, alkaline phosphatase, GGT. So all these key liver enzymes. And if you go and you ask your doctor, test my liver enzymes, you'll you'll get reading, you'll get recordings and biomarkers. And I go through how to read those, how to understand those and see if there's issues going on with your liver and your gallbladder. And so we go through a lot of great information in this. We go through the best healing strategies to support liver and gallbladder health. We know that for example, you know your your small intestine bile really helps to alkalize and uh, your small intestine, which helps sterilize bacteria and different microbes in the small intestine. It also helps emulsify fats. But so many people out there have thick, sluggish bile that doesn't move well, congests the bile ducts and the liver and the gallbladder, doesn't allow them to detoxify and get rid of uh, bad estrogens that damage and, and throw off our hormones effectively. And so this can cause a wide variety of different health issues. So I go through that in detail and the best strategies to thin out the bile, get it flowing effectively so you can detoxify well, so you can keep your microbiome healthy, your gut healthy, and really be able to function at your best. And this was this interview was a part of Dr. Still's uh, program, which is called the Mastering Menopause Transition Summit that's coming up in September. It's a free summit, a whole bunch of different interviews with top health experts on how to balance your hormones so you can go through menopause smoothly and effectively. So definitely check that out. I have the link in the show notes. It's a free summit, so you can check that out. And if you know anybody that wants to improve their liver, gallbladder health, that perhaps is going through perimenopause or menopause, wants to balance their hormones, 
send this podcast over to them and also send them the show notes with the link for the Mastering Menopause Transition Summit. It'll help them a lot. That's for sure. A lot of great interviews and great content in that. And if you guys would, wouldn't mind just taking a moment and leaving us a five-star review on Apple iTunes, wherever you listen to this podcast, that really helps us reach more people and impact more lives with this message. Thank you so much for doing that. Thank you for being a part of our community. And let's go into the show here. Hi, ladies. Welcome back to Mastering Your Menopause Transition Summit 2.0. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Stills. As always, a pleasure to be here with you and spend some time educating you about this very important time of your hormonal journey. And today we are going to talk about something very important that I'm very passionate about, your liver and your gallbladder and why they are so intimately involved with your health and your hormones. And I've got a very special treat because I've got Dr. David Jockers here with me. I'm like a fangirl myself, so I'm super excited. He runs one of the most popular natural health websites, drjockers.com. I'm sure many of you already know who he is. He's a best-selling author. He's a expert in ketosis and brain health and inflammation and functional nutrition. He's got adorable children and a beautiful family, and he's been gracious enough to come spend some of his time with us today in his very busy schedule and help educate you on what you need to know about your gallbladder and your liver. So thank you for being here. Welcome to the summit. Thanks so much, Dr. Stills. Great to be on with you here. Yes, yes. So I, I guess first question is just, how did you become Dr. Jockers? Like, what's your journey? How did you get into natural health and healing and become so passionate about it? Well, you know, growing up, my mom actually was studying to become a, a naturopath. She was a nurse first, then she studied to become a massage therapist and a midwife and eventually a naturopath. And so she was experimenting with her kids, of course, with all different types of diets. And, you know, in the 90s, macrobiotic diet was was a popular one. So she had us on that. And it was like lima beans and uh, <laughs> kale and things like that. And I, I always, I rebelled all of us, all my brothers and sisters, we rebelled against it, but my mom really linked my appearance and my performance to the food that I ate. So I was an athlete growing up. So she said, you know, you need to eat this kale because it's going to help you have more energy. And she would say things like my older brother had a lot of acne. She said, that's because he's eating too much sugar. And so I started realizing, okay, sugar, he's eating these processed chocolate bars. Oh, I don't want acne. So I'm not going to eat so much of those, or maybe not, maybe I'll avoid them and I'll eat more of this kale because I want to be better as an athlete. And so it was just kind of built into my, you know, my upbringing. And then uh, I became actually became a personal trainer in my early twenties. I was really into fitness and I developed irritable bowel syndrome and uh, I was eating like six meals a day, 5,000 calories to try to bulk up, right? And uh, have the the look that I wanted. And I've always been a thinner individual. And so I thought I needed to do that. And that put just so much stress on my gut that mm -hmm. I developed irritable bowel and I had, you know, tremendous cramping, bloating, pain in my gut. I ended up losing 20 pounds over about a six month period of time that I was, I was really dealing with that. And that was when I, I discovered more nutrition changes. You know, I thought I was living a healthy lifestyle. I was eating better than most of the people that I knew, but I realized, wow, I'm eating too much and I'm eating all of these chemicals and chemically laden processed foods and things like that. And so I started making diet changes and uh, took out grains, went on a lower carbohydrate style diet, more of like a real food diet. And um, 
And, you know, and then I also noticed that I, I had natural satiety and I had started graduate school and I, uh, I had 7am classes and I, I wasn't hungry in the morning. And I realized if I just hydrate, well, I'm not hungry until probably two o'clock in the afternoon. And I had never heard the term intermittent fasting, but I, I, this is what I was doing. I ended up gaining, gaining the weight back, having better energy, mental clarity, um, than I had ever had. And I went to the top of my class in graduate school and I, um, you know, graduate school, I, I went to that because I, I, I ran into some chiropractors at the gym that I was a personal trainer at. And, uh, they said, you know, you'd be really interested. You, you should look into this and it made a lot of sense. And so that's when I started going, I, I, I made plans to go into chiropractic school and, uh, was able to overcome my own health issues, go to the top of my class and, um, you know, just really loved, fell in love with learning anatomy, physiology, biochemistry. I later opened a clinic. But, you know, my passion has really been creating content and education. And so I started doing this at an early, you know, pretty early, I guess you could say probably 2008, 2009. And um, it took on a life of its own. And, you know, now at this point, I, uh, I sold my clinic years ago and I'm just really focusing on creating the world's best natural health content to help people overcome, you know, every kind of health condition and, and empower people to take back control of their health. Mm, I love that. And, and you're doing an amazing job. I have patients who come and they are finding all sorts of stuff on the web. And it's nice when they say like, I saw this on Dr. Jocker's site and I can go, oh, good. Okay. So I know you got good information that we can trust and we don't have to go around what you just read. And, and I, I was laughing when you're talking about your mom, because I, that, I was that mom to my kids, making them try everything and go through everything. And I'm sure some of you listening have done the same to your kids. And there's always that rebellion stage. And then you kind of are grateful you had that upbringing and come back around. So thanks for sharing that with us. And so let's just jump in um, the liver and the gallbladder. I think we talk a lot about the liver and I, I wanted to include the gallbladder because I feel like it's one of those organs that is so important and doesn't get enough airtime. And so I guess just for starters, what do you see as the major roles? Like why is the liver so important? Why is the gallbladder so important? How does that tie back to women's health? For sure. Well, you know, the liver, I think most people know it as the major organ system that deactivates toxins. And one of the common fallacies, a lot of people think we store toxins in our liver. We don't. We store toxins in our fat cells. The liver is what deactivates toxins, takes it from a form that's potentially dangerous for our body. And eventually the goal is to turn into a form that we can excrete through, you know, the the, the lower weight uh, molecules will, will, will release typically through our sweat or through respiration or through urination, whereas the larger molecules we're going to put into our bile and release through our bile. And I'll come back to the, the point of bile, but that's really one of the main things that the liver does, but it really works a lot with blood sugar stability. Um, you know, it releases sugar at times when we need more sugar. Um, it creates ketones, which are these water soluble molecules from fat that, uh, can cross the blood brain barrier because we can't actually burn fatty acids for fuel in our brain. So when we're in times of famine, like if we're fasting, if we just don't, don't have enough food, the liver will create these ketones, which can cross the blood brain barrier and fuel the brain. It also helps to activate certain hormones like thyroid hormone takes the inactive form, helps form it into the active form of thyroid hormone. So, so many different things produces a lot of different proteins that help run and regulate our body. So, so many different functions, critically vital organ. And if we're having dysfunction in our liver, it's going to affect all different systems of our body. 
And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of the major factors we see in our society today. And it's something that, you know, I, I know, you know, as a naturopath, if we're dealing with people with autoimmune conditions, chronic inflammatory conditions, neurodegenerative conditions, we always have to look at the liver because if the liver's not doing its job well, then all the systems of the body are going to start to break down. So liver super critical coming back to this idea of bile, which is really the connection between the liver and the gallbladder because the gallbladder is really a storage. It's a, it's like a pouch for, of the liver. It's an, it's, it's almost like a, a, the same organ in a sense, right? But the, the liver is what actually produces bile. So the livers, the liver cells of hepatocytes are creating the bile. The gallbladder is storing the bile. And most people, when we think about bile, the main function of bile, though it has multiple is to emulsify fats. So when we consume food, let's say we consume an avocado, there's a lot of fat in there. We've got to emulsify, meaning break it into smaller components and kind of uh, surround it with it. In a sense, bile is kind of like soap, right? So if we're trying to get grease off a pan, we got to use the soap to get in there, right? And to start to break it down, to get around all of those little grease particles to get it off. And it's kind of the same thing. Bile's basically like a, a soap in our system that uh, that helps to emulsify the fats so and, and break it into smaller components that we can then uh, absorb and utilize for energy. And also obviously critical for fat soluble nutrients like vitamin A, D, vitamin E, vitamin K, all those are fat soluble nutrients. We need good bioflow in order to break down the fats and to absorb these critical fat soluble nutrients. But on top of that bile, which again is produced by the liver, but but and secreted by the liver on a continual basis, right? It's continually being secreted, but in small amounts. And the and then the, the gallbladder has is where we store it. So when we take in the large bolus of fat from our, our diet, it's releasing, it's triggering the release of that bile into the small intestine. And the dynamics there are, are important because normally when we eat food, we produce stomach acid. So in our stomach, we want it to be very, very acidic when we're eating meals. At rest, the pH of our stomach is roughly three to 3.5, which is very acidic. If you remember back to chemistry class, neutral pH is seven. And then anything below that is acidic. Anything above seven is alkaline. And so the stomach, the environment is always acidic. But in order to break down, particularly like hard proteins, like let's say a steak, we really need to produce a lot of stomach acid. We need to get that at that pH down to roughly around 1.5 to 2.2 in that range, which is very energy demanding. So it takes energy. And this is why we need to be, we should be in a relaxed state, right? As, as, a, as a helpful strategy, we want to be in a relaxed state in order to eat because we need to really be able to produce, we need to put our energy, divert our energy into, this, into the production of these digestive juices. So the stomach acid gets in there, helps to break down the proteins, helps to ups to absorb certain nutrients. And then the partially digested food from the stomach moves into the small intestine. That partially digested food, we call a bolus. So the bolus, as it starts to move into the small intestine, it hits certain receptors in the small intestine that trigger the release of bile from the gallbladder. So now the bile comes out and the bile is very alkalizing. So we have this acidic bolus the stomach needs to be acidic. The small intestine needs to be alkaline and the small intestine. So the bile comes out to help alkalize the environment and to help emulsify the fats. Bile also has a very important role in blood sugar stabilization, believe it or not. So it helps stabilize blood sugar as well. Um, and 
when it gets in there, that's important because there are certain bacteria, for example, that you know we might have in our mouth or that we get from the food that we're consuming that don't they die in the in the acid. So the acid kills off a lot of them, but some of them actually love acid, but they don't like an alkaline environment. So the ones that love acid are survived, but they get into the small intestine. Now the bile helps reduce those. And that's important because we really want the, the majority of the bacteria that are in our microbiome, that are in our intestines, which are very important to be mostly in the large intestine, right? So the, the, it's, it's the distal part of our intestines or, or you know, in a sense, you got the small intestine first then later in the, in the large intestine. But if we don't produce enough stomach acid and enough bile, then we end up not being able to sterilize the food properly. And that can lead to an overgrowth of bacteria and other microbes in the small intestine, which can start to putrefy, which basically could start to ferment food earlier than, they sh than it should be, which can cause toxic byproducts, cause nutrient um, malabsorption issues, a lot of bloating, gas, const you know, constipation, diarrhea, all the different components that go along with uh, dysbiosis and digestive health disorders. You know, one of the conditions that we call we that 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 is uh, associated with that is called small intestinal bacterial overgrowth (SIBO). There's also another one called small intestinal fungal overgrowth. We shouldn't have an overgrowth of these microbes in the small intestine, and being able to produce and release enough bile plays a big role with keeping that small intestine really healthy. And obviously being able to absorb the key nutrients that we need. So, you know, super critical liver, gallbladder, very, very important. And we're also releasing in that bile, we're also releasing a lot of the larger toxins that we're trying to get rid of. Again, small, lightweight toxins that are deactivated by the liver, we're usually releasing through respiration, perspiration, or urination. And then the larger molecules that are maybe more fat soluble, we're releasing those through the bile and into the feces and bile is what gives your stool the brown color. So we're releasing that, you know, bile's coming out and, and, and toxins are being released through that. Mm, I love that you tied it together with the stomach acid. Cause that's a soapbox. I always stand upon so many issues that you're experiencing. Like you were saying, nausea, constipation, diarrhea. If you just get the bile flowing and the acid, we're always about being alkaline, which is important, but we need to be acidic in the right places. And the stomach acidity, which I find in practice is almost always diminished. And it used to be like over 30, over 40, but now I see it younger and younger and younger that we just are not producing stomach acid like we need to be. So Super, yeah, and super. if we don't produce enough acid from the stomach, then we're not going to get the right bile release. We're also not, not going to get the right bicarbonate and digestive enzyme release from the pancreas because the bicarbonate and the bile work together to bring the pH up to help alkalize that small intestinal environment. But it's like, you know, it's almost like a slinky. You have to prime the slinky, right? You got to push it down real good in order for it to propel itself. You know, if you're trying to get it up to the next step, if you only you know, slightly prime it, it's not going to have enough strength to move up. Well, it's kind of the same thing. If we don't produce enough acid, we're not going to get the, the bile and the pancreatic uh, enzyme released to really be able to digest our food effectively. Exactly. You have to, you have to have the acidity to get the alkalinity. It's like yeah. the slinky. I like that. I remember the slinky. Yep. So, so for the women listening, anything else you'd like to add in, like how they would know that their liver or their bile production is 
is low or congested um, signs and symptoms they could look for to say, aha, that's me. For sure. Well, you know, you mentioned a few of them. Nausea would be one. Um, if your stools are floating, so if you're noticing light color, pale colored stools that are floating, that can be a common issue. If you're noticing pain in your upper right quadrant of your abdomen, that's kind of that liver gallbladder area. And a referral point would be between your shoulder blades or right under your right shoulder blade. Those are common referral points. So those regions, even IT band syndrome, which is your iliotibial band, even that area has been shown to be a referral point. Not always, you know, sometimes it can be a sports injury or something like that, but um, oftentimes there's issues, liver gallbladder that are related to that IT band. Even the, the kind of web in between your thumb and your first finger, that also can be a referral point. So if you're noticing, if you kind of massage in there, right, the web in between your thumb and your first finger, noticing just, wow, that's really painful. That right there can be, a sign that, that potentially you have an issue there. And then, uh, you know, other symptoms, um, you might notice like a yellowing of your skin that would be uh, associated with bile that's not being metabolized properly. We call that condition jaundice. Some people notice yellowing in their eyes. So that can be an issue. A lot of skin issues, acne, rosacea, eczema can be associated with liver gallbladder issues. So that's another one, constipation, diarrhea, bloating, all the different digestive issues. We definitely want to look at liver gallbladder. Um, usually there's a component of that. If it's not the main driver of it, uh, it's still being affected and needs some support. So those are probably the most common things that, that you'll see. Mm, yeah, it pretty much scans the, the whole arena of things that you go to see your doctor for. And you were reminding me, I remember when I was in naturopathic medical school many, many years ago, and they said, whenever anyone comes in, like just fix the liver and 80 to 90% of the time you're going to fix their, their problems. And it sort of has held true after all these years. So, so we can look for signs and symptoms, but what about lab testing? Like what yeah. should the listeners, because a lot of People go to the doctor and they just get a comprehensive metabolic panel and they're told their liver enzymes mm -hmm. are fine and they think their livers are their livers fine. So what else could they be jotting down to ask their doctors so they can know better what's going on with their liver? Yeah. Anytime that you get lab work done, always make sure that they're testing your liver enzymes. And the key liver enzymes, are, there's four key ones that you want to get tested. A lot of times they'll only test two of them, two or three of them. One of them is AST. The other is ALT. Then the two other are alkaline phosphatase or ALKP. Sometimes it can be, uh, you know, kind of shortened to alkaline phosphatase and then GGT. All right. So those are the key for AST, ALT, uh, alkaline phosphatase and GGT. And so normally for AST, ALT and GGT, you want the range to be roughly between 10 and 25, somewhere in that range. So if it's under 10, if you see all of them under 10, then that's an indication oftentimes of a B6 deficiency because you need B6 to produce these liver enzymes. In some cases, you know, you might be protein deficient. You might have celiac, you know, some people with celiac disease, not, not breaking down enough protein. That can be a player there with GGT. Sometimes there's magnesium issues, but most of the time, especially with liver issues, you're going to notice higher liver enzymes up over 25. And so that's a sign that there's stress on the liver and then you can look at different patterns. So if ALT, let's say, you know, here's a, here's a case study, for example, let's say your AST is 22. So it's within range. 
And then ALT is 35, right? It's, it's, it's way higher than, than range. Okay. Not high enough to where they're going to say, oh, you have fatty liver. You have, you know, you have a hepatitis kind of issue. And they'll just be like, oh, we should watch that. Well, when ALT is much higher than AST, it's a sign that there's, there's pretty significant inflammation and it's affecting the liver. If ALT is within range, but AST is high. So if you're, if you're seeing both of them high, typically it's associated with liver issues. If you're seeing just AST and not ALT, then usually it's a sign of inflammation, oftentimes in the heart, sometimes muscles, kidneys, could be another area of the body. All right. And then GGT really plays a role. So if GGT is higher than ALT and AST, it's oftentimes telling us that there's an issue going on in the biliary tree. And what that means is you have your bile ducts, right? So you have, in a sense, kind of like a tubing system within your liver and your gallbladder that helps drive the bile around. And so your bile ducts can get congested. And when the bile is not moving well, when it's really, really sluggish, that can congest the bile ducts. They can also become scarred and inflamed as well. Um, and that can, so almost like placking of the arteries that you can get placking of the bile ducts. And then you can also have stones where the actual, there's actual stone formation with the uh, bile. We call that gallstones. And so all of those can cause a lot of issues in that biliary tree. And typically what we'll see is ALT will be high and GGT will be, be real high with that. And also alkaline phosphatase oftentimes will be high when we're seeing stones as well. The alkaline phosphatase, if that's low, oftentimes related to zinc, not producing enough zinc. Uh, or not getting enough zinc. And then if it's high, again, that's oftentimes associated with issues going on with bile flow, right? So biliary tree, gallbladder, right? That region. So that's kind of what we're looking at with those. You know, you can have liver issues and have all your liver enzymes normal. So that is, is also possible. But if you're looking at those liver enzymes, you can also see certain patterns just by looking at those four key enzymes. You know, if you didn't get that, just, re, just uh, rewind because I just went through it, but I know it's a lot of information there. But those are things that you can look at. There's other tests too. You can look at a stool analysis, for example. There's stool analysis. You can look at your steatocrit, um, like a, for example, a GI map stool analysis. Steatocrit is a marker that you might look at. That's kind of how well you're breaking down fat. If it's up over 15%, it's a sign you're not metabolizing fat well. So you're probably not producing enough bile, or you might just be overeating fat in some cases, right? Just overwhelming your system. So you got to look at that. And then um, there's also a marker beta-glucuronidase, which is an enzyme that's produced by gut bacteria. And beta-glucuronidase, uh, basically, it breaks the attachment between glucuronic acid and, and different toxins. And so one of the ways that we get rid of toxins, again, is we're binding them, right? Kind of putting them in the bile. Beta-glucuronidase, when that enzyme's high, it's, it's breaking the attachment and allowing the toxins to get back into circulation, particularly, it's particularly associated with reducing our ability to metabolize estrogens. And I know that's a big function, you know, we're talking about menopause, right? So it can contribute to estrogen dominance because we're not breaking down and eliminating the estrogens effectively. So that's a good one to look at. And then going back to blood work, you know, another one I forgot is that I always look at is albumin. So albumin is a carrier protein, right? So it carries thyroid hormone. It carries, you know, a lot of different hormones, all, you know, different sex hormones, electrolytes, different things like that around the body. And we really need albumin. And so it should be between four and five. So if it's under four, it's produced by the liver. So if it's under four, 
that's a, a problem. And that's a sign that the liver is not producing that, that protein effectively. And that can cause a lot of issues, cause more swelling in the system, you know, edema, for example, it's another sign and symptom of possible liver issues and oftentimes associated with, with uh, albumin dysregulation. So that's another marker that you can look at that's going to be on your CMP. So, uh, so all good markers to look at there. I just wanted to interrupt this podcast to tell you about my favorite brain boosting tool. It's actually a delicious chocolate fudge. I know that sounds crazy, but this isn't your average fudge. It's actually rich chocolatey fudge that's jam packed with five of the most beneficial mushroom species in existence when it comes to keeping a sharp and healthy brain. In fact, all of the mushrooms contain high amounts of essential nutrients, along with unique bioactive compounds that can promote the health of your brain while also supporting your heart and immune system. Rest assured, you can't taste the mushrooms within this fudge whatsoever. Just a delicious, gooey, chocolatey taste without sugar or artificial sweeteners. I'm introducing you to my favorite brain health treat. It's called Mushroom Mind Boost for my friends over at Purality Health. Now, Purality Health utilizes something called micell liposomal technology, which delivers these nutrients in the brain-boosting mushrooms into your bloodstream proven to be up, up to 800% better absorption and more, more efficient. So if you want to say goodbye to forgetfulness and you want to improve your mental clarity and keep a really sharp and healthy mind, give Purality Health's Mushroom Mind Boost a try. It's backed by a 180-day money-back guarantee. That's six full months. And today, I have a 30% off coupon for you. Just visit PurityHealth.com. That's P-U-R-A-L-I-T-Y-H-E-A-L-T-H.com. Use the coupon D-R-J to access 30% off today. Yeah, excellent. And GGT, you know, you probably have to push your doctor for it because in medical school, we're taught you only need to check that to see if someone's an alcoholic. And that's kind mm. of, but, you know, it can be high like Dr. Jockers were saying, and it could be a sign of free radical activity. So you have to, you may have to push your doctor for that one. And to be aware, all of these levels, like he was saying, we, we don't want them to be elevated with inflammation, but low levels also can then clue us into nutritional deficiencies. And low albumin is something I see chronically with a lot of the patients I deal with who have cancer. So that's mm. something. And also, I just want to throw in globulin is a good one. I see it all the time. If it's too low or it's too high, it's a sign of hydrochloric acid deficiency often. And like he was saying, you know, you want to do it all. Like you want to get your blood looked at. You want to get your stool looked at because your liver enzymes can look good in your blood. And then in your stool, I'll often see that you're deficient in bile acids and you're not digesting your fats. And so like we just gave you a really good, like you can look at signs and symptoms. You can look at blood work. You have to do extra testing. So there's lots, lots of ways to know. And this is so crucial for how your body is functioning and how your hormones are being processed, whether you're perimenopausal mm -hmm. or menopausal. So what do, I know, like the question on everyone's mind now is like, so what do I do to cleanse? Like we've all heard of liver cleanses and drink some olive oil. And so what are your thoughts on strategies that can be shared with people who are listening? What kind of guidance can you give them? 
Yeah, for sure. So, you know, obviously one big thing would be diet change. So things that really stress the liver are going to be processed foods, food, you know, any, anything processed, obviously high glycemic processed foods, uh, definitely going to cause problems, chips, crackers, things like that. Um, processed seed oils. So your corn oil, soybean, safflower, cotton seed oil, peanut oil, uh, canola oil, all of those things really damaging to the liver high fructose corn syrup or things that are very, very high in fructose, uh, can be, can be a major issue, corn starches, things like that. And then, you know, so you obviously want to avoid those. And in general, your nutrition habits should, should focus on, I want to get the maximal nutrients and the minimal amount of toxins when I'm eating food. So as much as possible, trying to go organic because organic foods are going to have more nutrients, less toxins. When we're not eating organic foods, we're going to get a higher toxic load that puts more work and more stress on the liver. And so obviously we want to reduce that stress. So trying to go as organic as possible is key um, with animal products, grass fed, organic, pasture raised. That's super important. And then when it comes to foods, we want to make sure that we're including a lot of bitter types of foods. We say bitter is good for your liver. So what are these kind of bitter foods that are very good for helping stimulate the liver? They help stimulate bile flow. They help thin the bile um, because that's an issue with bile is when it gets real thick and sluggish. So we actually want bile to be thinner so it flows more effectively. So bitter foods, we're thinking about things like radishes, artichokes, uh, cilantro, parsley, um, ginger, right? Ginger is fantastic. You know, these things that kind of have a natural bitterness, those are really, really helpful. Also kind of an astringent flavor as well. You're going to find berries, for example, cranberries that are astringent. And that astringency is something called um, allagic acid, which is really good for the liver. Also really good for the intestinal cells as well. Helps stimulate intestinal cell and liver cell mitophagy, where the actual liver cells and the um, and the intestinal cells will break down old damaged mitochondria and create new healthy mitochondria that are more stress resilient. So you get things. So again, things like, um, like cranberries, muscadine, grapes, pomegranate, right. All, all really, really good there. Um, what else am I missing? Uh, arugula, arugula is a great bitter herb, lower in oxalates and a lot of these compounds that are very supportive of the liver. So those are all really, really helpful. Uh, there's different supplements. Supplementation can be like things like bile salts, for example, taurine, choline. You know, a lot of times if you find like a bile uh, flow support type supplement, it will have things like choline, dandelion. I didn't even mention that with the bitter herbs. So that's really good. Uh, dandelion, maybe it'll, it might have artichoke in it. Um, you'll find some kind of exotic herbs like uh, glucosterols and stuff like that sometimes uh, that are in there. But um, dandelions are a really common one that will be in some of these supplements. Milk thistle, uh, another, another great herb that helps regenerate hepatic or liver cells. So that's really fantastic. There's also a, a really powerful um, bile salt, right? And really with bile, it's cholesterol bilirubin, which is a breakdown product of hemoglobin. So hemoglobin is the main protein that carries oxygen in our red blood cells, but we turn over the hemoglobin, right? Those things don't have, you know, they only have like a three month lifespan, the red blood cells. And so then they break down, we get rid of, we excrete that bilirubin in the bile and it combines with cholesterol and with salts. And so with a lot of people, because they have insulin resistance or hypothyroidism, 
we get too much cholesterol, not enough salt, right? So we're adding in the bile salts to create the ratio, to have the right ratio so it flows well. So the one powerful bile salt is something called Tudka, right? Tudka is pretty well researched showing great results with thinning the bile, helps regenerate liver cells. So that can be a really great supplement. N-acetylcysteine also, or other things to help boost glutathione, which is a key part of phase two liver detoxification. That's really, really super important. So so those would be the, the best strategies from a nutritional perspective. And then there's other things like, for example, castor oil packs. Castor oil is really great at dilating the bile ducts. So opening up the bile ducts. Remember how I talked about how inflammation can create placking, right? Or damage to those bile ducts. And then also the sluggishness of the bile. That combination is really, really, really bad for obviously good bile flow. So we want to we want to thin the bile, but also we want to open those bile ducts, Right. Um, and dilate them. And so that's what the castor oil will help to do is kind of open the bile ducts. So now we thin it and we open the bile ducts. Now we're going to get the bile flowing well. So you can just do castor oil, castor oil pack over your right upper quadrant of your abdomen region and do it at night, right? Put it on right before you go to bed and just kind of sleep with it. And that's a great strategy. I mean, you really only need it for if when you put it on, the castor oil should absorb within the first hour. So if you want to just put it on for an hour while you're you know, sitting around reading a book at night. Great. You could do that, do it like that. Most people find they're more compliant doing it at night or you just sleep with it, with it on. And so that's a great strategy. I'm sure you got other people probably talking about castor oil packs, just a really great strategy for helping support good bioflow. So uh, those would be, you know, some of the top strategies, top things that they could be doing. Hmm. I'm just sitting here thinking if you just figure out your hydration, Hydrochloric acid, <laughs> use castor oil packs and take some Tudka. Like, yeah, <laughs> you're like 80 percent. Yeah, down and get more of those bitter herbs. Get more <laughs> of those bitter herbs in your diet. I think yeah, are very like helpful. Arugulus, too. arugula yeah. salad, and with some pomegranate sprinkled on top. But For these sure. really are these are things I see over and over and over again in my practice, and really are you know sort of just simple to really like get under control once you understand and can see that they're all connected and so you know we talk a lot about hormones for menopause yes bioidentical hormone replacement you know i'm a fan and i love it and i do it with all my patients but these hormones need to be put into a body that is functioning that has bioflow that has a liver that's not inflamed that has a stomach acid that is acidic and so that's why it was so important that we have this conversation today because i really want you to start thinking like not only is menopause a time about hormones but it's also a time about just checking in pausing and seeing how your body's functioning and just because you have always dealt with nausea or bowels or that aren't flowing or are flowing too much or constipation or bloating like these are not these might be common things, but they're not normal things. And the things that we discussed here today are not extremely expensive. They're not extremely complicated. And with the right guidance, you can really get balance in your body. And then when you have the hormones replaced, you're just going to have an overall health that's just going to be so much more raised than if you're not addressing these things. And that's why I wanted to have this conversation. And so you can, is there anything else you want to add? Anything yeah, a few yeah. quick quick things too as well that I, I didn't mention, but green apples, getting the kind of tart green apples, you know, Granny Smith type apples, 
It's really good as well. And, you know, I think probably the best benefit of fruit, you know, we talk about different antioxidants, polyphenols be, can be very beneficial, but fruit has and, and, and vegetables. Some vegetables are like this, like celery, things like that. They have a structured form of water, more of a coherent type of water that really helps drive information into cells, improves cellular dynamics, and also very good for again, moving bile through the system. So I think green apples, you know, if you're getting super high sugar fruit, you want to limit that. You, you can still eat it, but just, you know, limit it and, 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 you know, maintaining good activity, just activity in general, movement, getting a lot of movement in exercise is very, very important for liver gallbladder health as well. And then one other great strategy is lemon water. So warm lemon water, or you could do like like for example, a lemon dandelion tea in the morning when you get started with your day, warm water helps stimulate the liver, helps thin the bile. And then you add in the lemon, you've got vitamin C, bioflavonoids in there, citric acid, which all have a very beneficial effect on all of our digestive juices, including bile flow. Uh, very helpful, helps stimulate the vagus nerve, helps you poop early in the day, right? Helps stimulate more peristalsis. So moving your bowels, you should be moving particularly between the hours of 6 a.m. and 9 a.m. It's a great time. It's when your colon is most active. So if you don't move your bowels regularly, you should be moving your bowels at least once or twice a day, at least. And ideally between those hours seems to be most effective. Then uh, if you're not moving your bowels, you are recycling toxins. That's going to be more stress on the liver. So the warm lemon water can be really helpful. Taking a morning walk can be really helpful. Finding a comfortable position that works for you to you know, help, help get your body to release uh, and, and move your bowels can be super helpful as well. So, um, definitely those things would be, be great. You know, you can find some organic herbal teas as well that are kind of marketed for liver. A lot of times they've got dandelion and they've got licorice root and burdock and a bunch of these herbs that are supportive for your liver as well. So herbal teas or warm lemon water can be really helpful. Mm, all right. So now you, you got your bookends. You're going to start your day with warm lemon water. You're going to end there it with the castor oil. Back. You're going to eat arugula in between. And yeah, those are all, you know, again, sometimes health can be very complicated and profound. And sometimes just the simple things starting with a glass of warm water and yes, structured water, filtered water, organic food, you know, we still have glyphosate, even in organic food, but it, it's a lower um, percentage. And so it is important to eat organic. It's important to eat grass fed and finished. It's important to think about what you're nurturing yourself and the foods that you're eating. And so you want to eat healthy food and then you want to going back to what we spend time talking about, make sure your hydrochloric acid is optimized. So you're actually absorbing your food and you're actually triggering the production of bile and the production of pancreatic enzymes. So it's all connected. So thank you so much for your, you're like the, the living version encyclopedia of your website. So for those who want to check you out, who don't know who you are, um, it's drjockers.com. Correct. Yeah. D-R-J-O-C-K-E-R-S.com. You can see his books in the background, check those out and, um, you know, go check out his website. It is a, it's just a living encyclopedia of everything you want to know about your health. So thank you again for being here and for sharing and giving us just a real good A to Z on your liver and things you can do. So tests and what you can do. I think this was very, I like to have useful information. This was very, very useful for those listening. So thank you. Thank you everyone for being here. And like Dr. Jocker said, you're probably going to want to 
rewind, get your pen and paper out and take notes because it, there's like a whole map in here that you can just start instituting that's gonna change your health for the better. So take advantage of that and listen and write and let me know if you have any questions. So we'll be back with another interview and I thank you as always for being here. Well, that's all for this show. And I want to thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. And if there was something you heard in this interview that you have questions on or you want to dive into deeper, then drjockers.com is the best place to go. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking just a quick moment and giving us a great review. Your reviews help us influence more people and transform more lives. And if you took something valuable away from this episode, then please share it with someone in your life you know it can help. We'll see you soon on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody.